Hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Nicholas Schaefer. My co-host Neeraj Shah is on vacation this week, and um, we're doing a series of episodes uh, on a different topic from the topic of our first season, which is aging. Uh, in the feed last week, I released a pre-recorded episode on techno-optimism um, that Neeraj and I recorded a while back and had not released. And uh, this week, um, uh, one of our early listeners, uh, early supporters, has come onto the podcast to react um, to the Techno Optimism episode. Ned, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Nick's brother, Ned Schaefer, and uh, he, he's been gracious enough to let me um, speak on his podcast here. Yeah, and I think maybe it's interesting to kind of note like what we've been doing for the last half an hour plus, um, because I woke up this morning um, getting ready to come uh, and provide a passionate defense of techno-optimism, and then for a, a full half an hour plus, we've just been trying to find some way uh, to record a podcast episode, which so, you know, I think that uh, it's not it's not going well so far for me this morning. Yeah, I mean... Just off the bat, this is a this is a point for me. So. <laughs> I, think, I think that's fair enough. Uh, well, we're a little bit getting ahead of ourselves, um, but uh, you know, Ned, having listened to the last episode and thought about these topics uh, quite a bit and related topics, you know, has a, a pretty different point of view, seemingly for me. And so, Ned, do you want to kind of introduce uh, your thoughts, uh, having listened to the last episode and on techno optimism in general? Yeah. So um, first off, I don't want to seem like somebody that doesn't think uh, any problems can be solved uh, through technocratic or technological solutions. Um, you know, obviously, we all want to solve problems. I think that uh, there are a couple uh, interesting points that you brought up in the last episode, kind of you know, trying to separate out the tech from the human source of problems. And I just don't think that they can be uh, separate, uh, separated. Um, you know, ultimately, all of this tech um, is controlled by humans and, and I think should be controlled by humans, you know. Um, but there are, like, uh, issues in our political economy that are going to limit um technological advances, essentially. Um, so that, that's kind of like my broad overview of that. Got it. So uh, it's not as though you don't believe that technology will advance into the future. It's Is it more that, um, you know, issues related to politics and, and, you know, the sort of the nature of the way people are um, that's going to limit the ability of technology to solve problems, or is it more? Uh, I think another, you know, point of view that I mentioned on the last episode was that you know technology will advance and will create you know problems. Um, so, but that that doesn't seem to be the kind of argument they're making. It's more um, an argument about uh, you know people having the wrong priorities and working on the wrong kinds of technology and uh, possibly even uh, hoarding the benefits um, that will be accrued through technology. 
Oh, I, I think the unintended consequences and kind of secondary problems that technological advances create uh, are definitely going to be problems too. Uh, so I'm not limiting my criticism to, to just that. I think those are definitely valid criticisms. You know, I think of like, you know, we're using the internet right now, right? Um, barely, yes, but yeah. barely, yes, we're trying to use the internet for like what it like its original intended purpose, right? And this is like communication. Um, you know, the internet's an interesting case because you know it came about through like massive uh, public funding. You know, ARPA and DARPAnet. I'm I'm sure you like have read at least some history on ARPA and DARPA. You know, this is like a military project. Uh, you know, a military uh, industrial project to communicate globally, right? Um, and so, you know, on one hand, you like, you think, oh, you know, mass, I, I would think like massive public uh, spending to solve a problem is good, right? Um, but in reality, uh, you know, the roots of ARPA and DARPANET, uh, you know, inside the military industrial complex is kind of problematic, right? This leads to you know, kind of mass surveillance and, and and these sorts of things. So, you know, that's just a secondary effect um, of a lot of these problems. Uh, another problem that I do have with uh, techno optimism is kind of this. Um, it, it it's like a substitute for uh, like kind of rational, technical and political change. You know, people. I think feel kind of powerless politically in our current moment because you know democratic institutions are just not reactive to to what people actually want, uh, and so they kind of put their faith in these technological solutions. And, and you know, I might be kind of like a doomer in this capacity, um, but I also want to have hope, and I understand why other people want to have hope. You know, and so it's kind of this. Uh, like everything's going to be all right. I got to have faith in something, you know, tech, uh, political institutions are failing uh, to deliver this hope. So I'm going to put my hope in someone like Elon Musk, you know, and, and this is, you know, this is just misguided in my, my opinion. Yeah. So it, I, I don't know a lot in particular about Elon Musk, but I think it's an interesting case to take um, because it is in the you know public eye a lot these days. And so, um, you know, something I've heard you said before was that, you know, th and maybe it wasn't in this context, but you can correct me if I'm misstating it, that, you know, he's basically trying to solve the wrong problems. So like, what, what are those problems? I mean, his various companies um, include SpaceX, right? Which has the you know, the apparent motivation to, you know, uh, enables, you know, interplanetary eventually travel. Um, there's been a lot of talk of going to Mars and so forth. So that's one company. Another company, Tesla, is, it's, you know, it's a car company. They have um, a couple of things that they're trying to accomplish. One is, you know, uh, moving to electric vehicles, which, you know, all their vehicles are electric and then um, autonomous driving. And so, you know, if we think about those, those solutions to, you know, apparent problems, not being able to travel between planets, um, 
burning fossil fuels in vehicles and having to drive, I guess, is the, th- is the third problem that he's trying to address there. Um, would you say that a lot of the issue there is just that, like, that's too much energy to focus on, you know, seemingly unimportant problems? Well, p- part of it, yeah. I mean, the space travel thing is just ridiculous, right? Like, um, it, I think there have been studies of people that spend significant time on the International Space Station, and they just get weaker, and they absorb radiation. Uh, and, and this sort of technology, you know, is not something that's going to enable, like, a multitude of people to benefit from it. You know, it's just like, it's a pet project for our tech oligarchs. You know, it's just, it just seems silly. You're not going to move the whole, uh, you know, population of planet earth to Mars, you know, and also on the, like the autonomous vehicle. Uh, so that, that's like one problem, like it's misguided. Um, and then, you know, you have like real problems with like, Uh, urban density and like moving people around that he is supposedly trying to uh, fix with Tesla. Well, you know, these uh, electric vehicles are not a solution that are going to um, work on a massive scale. Uh, You know, there are, there are like these rare earth minerals that you have to, that have their own sort of environmental effects and and digging them up. And so this is, you know, still an extractive uh, process. Um, So, so there's, there's that. Uh, Then there's also like the autonomous, I think the autonomous vehicle situation uh, and, and issue is like an interesting one because it really, it butts up against uh, like kind of the, so the technological solution to autonomous vehicles, like just doesn't work with our current infrastructure. And so if we're going to, you know, restructure our, our infrastructure, why would we do it just to accommodate this one technology that's already an inefficient way of moving people around, you know? Um, we could do like massive amounts of uh, public transportation as opposed to uh, rebuilding our current infrastructure in almost the same way for the benefit of this one rich guy. You know, uh, it just seems like a crazy solution. Um, you know, and, and I think this is it, it's interesting because this is like a uniquely kind of American or, or Western perspective. To, to have on, on techno optimism, you know, like the kind of the tech savior as opposed to like realistic solutions. So, you know, I mean, obviously the Japanese are famous for having their, their bullet train system. Uh, China just came up with their own, uh, you know, they issued, they, they came out with a new bullet train that travels 373 miles an hour, you know, um, and you compare that with Elon Musk's Hyperloop which, you know, it, it sounds like a fantastical idea and like kind of, um, you know, maybe even if it's crazy, it's harmless, right? But there are like real cities that are putting money and like signing contracts with uh, Musk to build his Hyperloop, uh, including like Chicago and Las Vegas famously. So, 
you know, the idea behind the Hyperloop was you get in this pod and it shoots you at a, you know, a crazy speed and, and you end up in a new place. And what they ended up doing in Las Vegas is they put like, a, they just dug a tunnel and they had uh, Tesla's drive autonomously at like 35 miles an hour in the <laughs> tunnels. You know, it's just, and it's just ridiculous. And so like, even if it's like best case scenario, uh, you know, that that's not going to solve the problem. The worst case scenario is these Teslas tend to blow up, you know? And so now you're trapped in a tunnel with uh, exploding Teslas, you know? Well, I, I think that, well, I haven't studied it, but I think you're, the propensity to explode might be overstated here in this context. But uh, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> it, it does actually remind me, though, like when you describe of like, you know, the vision versus the reality. Um, I know I'm like way behind on this, but I'm just now um, listening to uh, a podcast about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And uh, it, it does sort of the contrast between the vision and the reality it reminds me a lot. I actually hadn't heard that story about Tesla's driving 35 miles an hour down a short tunnel uh, and that being like a demonstration of Hyperloop. But um, yeah, I mean, one, one thing that came to mind while you were talking is that, um, you know, you were saying, you know, instead maybe as an alternative, let's say to electric self-driving Teslas as a means of transportation, like large scale, um, you know, public transportation projects. And I think that um, one thing uh, that's interesting to consider when thinking about like how to solve large problems is like the path dependence. Um, and so in some cases it may be easy, and I'm not saying it, it is the case here, but in some cases it may be easy to imagine, you know, if you could start from the ground up, imagine a better solution. Um, and it also may be the case that it, it might be very hard to get from where we are to there. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I find myself coming to the defense of Elon Musk here, which is not something I had planned to do, but, you know, might it be the case that, you know, going from where we are now, which is basically a whole bunch of roads with, you know, fossil fuel driven vehicles that people drive around and crash into each other all the time. If we can kind of gradually transition from, you know, that, to you know, electric vehicles that people drive around, to electric vehicles that drive themselves, to hopefully fewer electric vehicles in the future. Because like you know, your point about you know this you know electric vehicles being like an extractive technology is not a is not a trivial one, right? The energy still has to come from somewhere. So I think like if there's going to be any benefit seen from these vehicles, it has to be from like eventually there being fewer of them and them driving around less. Um, but you know. Is there anything to it you think in terms of like the 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 path dependence that like that vision might be more achievable given where we are than completely replacing it with, for example, large scale public transportation that you know has been shown to work in other countries? Yeah, I, so it when you think about technological solutions versus changing behavior, um, I think people kind of see uh, other human beings' behavior and think it's like impossible to change behavior. And, and I'm not like completely discounting that, right? Um, I, I do think it's very hard to change humans' behavior. 
Um, but I, I think like the technological solutions that we're working on currently, um, it, they, they just don't solve the problem. I mean, I mean, I guess like grad, the, the other issue is like time, right? Do we have enough time to keep going down this path? Um, and also do we have like, are we able to muster the political will to change these behaviors or implement, um, technological solutions? And I'm kind of skeptical of both, um, which, which is a, I guess is a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, as I see it, like the, the political solutions are, you know, much more of a cooperation problem. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, some of the advantages of these more technological solutions might be that, you know, you, you don't ever encounter a large scale cooperation problem that's difficult to overcome. You know, it can be sort of just accomplished gradually. And all the while, you know, people can sort of just stick to their basis instincts and be led down a path um, that eventually solves the problem. And I think that some people who are, um, you know, even more skeptical than you are of you know, people's ability to change their behavior might say that, you know, that might ultimately be an advantage because the path is is more realistic because you're not placing kind of large expectations in terms of people's ability to cooperate or change the way they behave. Yeah, I, I, I just see it as um, it's very hard to like plan things, you, you know, central planning is such a bugaboo in our, our political system. Like people don't want to uh, seem like think things are, are planned for them. You know, they want to like think it's their own decision. Um, but I'd like, to solve these massive problems, I think it's going to have to, we're going to have to have some sort of central planning on these things. And, and also it would be better if these problems or, or these solutions were ad addressed in some sort of democratic uh, way. You know, like the people that are trying to solve these problems, um, especially through tech, you know, uh, are just not they're not your average people. They don't, they don't face the same problems that average people have, you know? And so you go to like, uh, you, you look at like people that want to live forever, all of these, you know, uh, yeah. we, we like, talked a little bit about that on a previous yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like Peter Thiel and like harvesting blood from younger people and, uh, you know, Vitalik Buterin and he wants to live for 700 years or whatever. And there's like all kinds of moral uh, problems with that. But those are just like not, those are not solutions for average people. Like average people want to be able to like live their lives uh, at a decent standard of living um, and like be healthy, you know? So like, uh, you know, those are not problems that Peter Thiel and Vitalik Buterin have. Um, so, you know, it, we, we've come to a point where, like, 
tech is just driven by these, uh, you know, kind of overly rich weirdos, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. I, so I, I agree that like, it's, it's quite easy to like, to listen to some of these visions that, that people put forward and to, you know, lampoon them. Um, and maybe it's a useful exercise to think kind of about, um, you know, try to put yourself in the past and then pretend you don't know what was going to happen in the future and then kind of then, you know, allow yourself to, to realize what happened in the future. Um, which is just to say that like, um, you know, I think that technology has, it can reasonably be said in the past, raised the standard of living, uh, even for average people, or would you contest, uh, the notion even at that point? I mean, it, there are obviously, there have been technological solutions, uh, that have raised the standard of living. Um, but it seems to be, seems to me like that these have not sunk in all the way, you know, and they have still these technological solutions. And, and when I say technological solutions, um, I'm talking like sanitation, you know, um, there yeah, are, I mean, that's clearly an important technology, technological development. Right. And there are, there are like lots of counties in the rural South in the United States of America that like don't have proper sewage, you know? And so, you know, we have a technological solution, right? Like we know how to build proper sewage, uh, but like they haven't even penetrated some of the places here. And we're talking, now we're talking about, Oh, we're moving forward on, uh, you know, other technological solutions for other problems when we haven't even, uh, you know, and like, there's like 14% of native communities in the U S like don't have electricity, you know? Uh, I mean, that's just insane to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But th- uh, those, I mean, I think you have to admit that those situations are remarkable only by contrast to all of the other progress that's been made. Right. I mean, if, if no one had it, it wouldn't be remarkable that those 14% of communities didn't have electricity. Yeah. And I guess that, that like leads me to another of my issues with, with techno optimism, uh, in that it kind of like, it acts as like kind of a savior, uh, for people that feel politically powerless. Um, you know, it's like almost like a substitute or like a mythological, uh, fix for these you know average people um don't want to be politically involved or like demand uh political change because because they they have been kind of left behind by our political system they know it doesn't work for the average people so they they just like uh they put all of their faith in these technological solutions and it's almost like it's well it is like a uh like a i don't want to say de-radicalizing tool um but it's like a it, it makes people think that everything's going to be okay when when it probably not you know um and also i think we've reached like plateaus as far as uh you know well, you can go ahead and react to that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point that I I didn't even 
I hadn't really considered up until now is uh, kind of what you're talking about is the the problem not of techno optimism itself, but how how apparently widespread it is, and how um, you know a widespread belief in techno optimism might itself be problematic. Is that right? Yeah, it's like kind of like a false prophet sort of situation, you know. Um, you know, pe- people think like, oh, we're just going to solve uh, climate change, you know. Uh, and Neeraj uh, mentioned carbon sequestration. Like, there's no guarantee that that's going to work. Um, but what it does is it says to people, well, you know, they're working on this. Um, we can continue our current destructive behaviors, you know, because, oh, well, tech will fix it. I mean, they've, it, tech's fixed all of these other problems in the past, right? Um, yeah, I, I think so, I, I brought up exactly that uh, that problem. And then Neeraj was careful to say that, you know, he wasn't personally advocating for that point of view, um, just that he was hopeful that, that, you know, there might be some help coming from that direction. Yeah. Another, if we can like change topics uh, on that, the other thing you brought up was like predictive policing, you know? Oh, okay. So that, that was Neeraj. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the tape on that. It was Neeraj who brought that up initially. Yeah. 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 And I, and uh, I, I'm not, I'm not saying you personally, I'm you as a show, right? Okay. Um, but it's interesting because this has been tried like, and it's not just minority report. Uh, there was a guy back in the day, he was a, a kind of a low level NYPD detective. His name was Jack Maple. And he like, it was like very basic data that he would like do on uh, massive amounts of maps in New York city. And he would, like graph out where the crime happens. And uh, then there was a, a guy named Bill Bratton uh, in the early 90s that brought, he was, he was the NYPD uh, chief of police. He's been the chief of police of Boston and Los Angeles. And he brought about a, a program called CompStat. Um, and this was like trying to be predictive policing and to make a, a long story short, it, it just created more problems than it than it ended up solving. Um, you know, it, it really it, it just made policing uh, more racist. You know, it just like it, it like concentrated uh, you know police in over police neighborhoods and like just kept arresting more and more black and brown people. Uh, so it, it kind of like accelerated the, the kind of prison pipeline, which is, it, and, and this is like not a solution, right? It, this, we, we understand like uh, you can't arrest your way out of, of problems with crime. So it's like, it's not even a solution to the problem. It's just creating and accelerating the current problem. Um, so, you know, that, that was a very interesting part of the last episode. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think my comment at the time was that, you know, I'd have to think about, I mean, what exactly are these systems supposed to do and how are they supposed to work? And, you know, based on your description, it seems like it's not not terribly sophisticated. You basically just look to see where the crime usually happens and then send more police there. Which, of course, like 
you know, will be self-reinforcing. Um, exactly. And, and, you know, this is actually like the topics that you're, you're bringing up, um, are interesting to me because, um, it really, I, I think it really goes to your point earlier of, um, the inappropriate focus of a lot of technological development, which I think probably is one of the strongest arguments in some sense against techno-optimism. Um, and, uh, I think, I mean, when I think about, you know, what most effort is spent on in technology and technological development, it's a lot of things that, you know, some of the things that you've already mentioned, and also things like how to optimize advertising, which is just a tremendous amount of effort uh, spent on that. And, and these, that topic, and, you know, most of the ones that you've brought up, it's, it's sort of not how I mostly think about technology, but I know I'm an outlier in that regard, you know? So like my training is in the national, uh, natural sciences and, you know, a lot of my interests are in the natural sciences. And so, you know, when I think about technology, I'm actually kind of mostly focusing on, on a kind of small sliver of, uh, of technology in terms of like the overall effort that's spent globally on developing it. But, um, and I think that that, that probably, you know, bias is my point of view. I mean, I, I, in my defense, I'd argue that it's a, it's, even though it's a small amount of the effort, you know, it, it is a Im- very important sector of technological development and is, you know, possibly poised to have outsized impacts on, on people's lives. And so I'm, I'm hopeful about that. Um, but, you know, if, if we're going to take opto, you know, techno optimism with, you know, technological development as a whole, as it actually exists, I think that there's, you know, plenty of room for for criticism in terms of the kinds of things that, uh, in some sense, the market chooses to focus on, which is something that you mentioned. Yeah, um, it, and I just don't think that the market is capable of solving a lot of these problems. Um, I mean, I know that you, you know, you have worked previously, and you're interested in. Um, you know, neurodegenerative care and, um, you know, helping solve these problems. But, you know, one thing, uh, another thing about uh, how we try to solve problems, like if we wanted people to be healthier, we would give them health care, you know, Um, but that's still controlled by the profit motive, you know, in the U.S. And, And like, I'm somebody that thinks that, you know, giving healthcare to everybody would be a, a really good idea. I think most people think that. Um, and like politically, it's just off. It's not even on the table at the moment, you know, by by either major party. And, and also like the it's kind of built into the political system that this will never be on the table, or at least in the foreseeable future. Um, so, I mean, it, it's it's admirable that you are, you know, working on these problems, um, and fixes for these problems. Um, but, you know, my worry is that we, we are just not going to get there, you know, from a, from a political economy standpoint. Um, another interesting, before we like completely leave the predictive policing and, and AI. Oh yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Um, so, you know, Facebook thought that they could use AI for content moderation, you know, um, 
And this is a company that, you know, I don't know what the current market cap of Facebook is, but it's, it's gigantic, you know, and these are, this is supposed to be like one of the pinnacles of tech in, in the world. And instead of, uh, they, they tried the AI to moderate the content. And what they found is that it is easier for, to like hire humans at very low wages to like monitor all these posts. And what what happens is like you're forcing people to look at the worst of humanity for long stretches of time. And it just drove these people crazy. You know, it just like uh, I don't want to use the word crazy. Like it just uh, it caused like massive amounts of mental illness in these people. Um, so like this is a you know, it's just another problem. Like it's like whack-a-mole for problems, you know, Facebook. Uh, there's a lot of problems with Facebook. They tried to fix it through quote unquote AI. It didn't work. Okay, let's let's bring in the techno surfs to you know moderate our content and just drive them to insanity. You know. Uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't heard that story. I mean, I I do think that I mean we we definitely be getting off the topic here, um, but you know it is interesting to consider how much you think platforms like Facebook should be moderated. Um, I do think that technological solutions are hard in in part there just because um, it's it's not really a technological problem um, because uh, whatever technological solution you would have that could satisfy that would have to kind of understand all of your your values and and agreeing on those values to begin with seems to be to be the hardest problem there. Um, I think that probably, you know, for the easiest cases, some kind of technological solution to moderation could, could maybe help. Um, it, and it would only help if you think that there, there should be some moderation, of course. So. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Facebook is a private company, right? Um, and it's almost like it's its own nation state at this point, you know, um, it's kind of like it's online nation state. It, it goes across borders. It has to deal with all these, uh, you know, all the different laws in the different countries. Um, and so we are essentially putting our, uh, you know, putting, putting our free speech and, and I'm not one of these like free speech absolutist people that just rails on about Facebook, but it would be much better if this was under some sort of democratic control and not like just in the hands of Facebook. Uh, You know, we we are essentially empowering Facebook uh, to kind of put the guardrails on society, which, you know, just leads to all kinds of problems, you know, um, we're, we're hoping that whoever, you know, the nameless faceless person at Facebook that we have no control over is going to make these correct decisions. Um, and I think like largely they have not, you know, there's been all kinds of, um, situations around, you know, just globally where, you know, Facebook has, you know, enabled, you know, massive slaughters of people and, and this sort of thing. Um, 
And, and that's another problem is like people think of like tech problems as like being, uh, you know, just tech problems. Like they're, they're just online problems, but they are moving into like the real world. Um, you look at like the, and I'm getting off topic here again, but the uh, Highland Park, Illinois shooter, like all of his political beliefs were, were found online. And these are not beliefs that are like rooted in any sort of uh, traditional political uh, like ideology, but this is like a bunch of people getting together online and coming up with bad ideas, you know, and I, I, and I don't know any of the, the details. Do you, can you summarize the, the beliefs or is that, well, is he, that even a good a, idea? Uh, I don't know. Like he, it's just, it's, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, 4chan and like, uh, those sorts of, yeah, not, not, not directly, but yes. Yeah. I, I mean, you're like vaguely aware of 4chan and it's yeah. just, um, it's like a, a nihilism that, um, you know, it, I, I don't know. There, there are other people that you, you can look it up. You can like people, if you're listening to this, you can look up like kind of like the for, politics of 4chan and, and how it came about. But my point is like, these are bad ideas that are come up that have uh, kind of arisen online and have come into the real world. Um, and I think like, this is a direct result of people being too online, you know, and especially like in the pandemic, you know, people spent all of their time online and it just drove a lot of people nuts. And, you know, if we're thinking like, this is going to be the way that we're going in the future, like just atomization of, of people, um, everybody thinking of things in, in individual ways and, and not getting out and interacting with other actual human beings. Um, there, there's just, there's something about being online all the time that, that just really messes with people's brains. I don't think we're like capable of handling it. Yeah. Uh, so I can largely happily plead ignorance here. I somehow, you know, even, you know, despite, Growing up in the middle of all of this, I've I've mostly um, missed kind of online interactions. Um, although I have some social media accounts, you know, I barely use them. And uh, I guess this podcast is really kind of one of the first times I'm venturing out into the online space. Although it's a, kind of a nice way to to venture out because largely, you know, you don't unless your brother calls you up, you don't know. <laughs> Uh, how things are being received, and you don't have much interaction um, with people. But um, yeah, I, I, from what I understand, you know, there is just there is a lot of uh, craziness online. I don't know if that's um, if that's the same conversation as like um, techno optimism versus techno pessimism. I mean, yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I, I think um, one thing. I, I guess we can switch topics a little bit. Um, so the, I guess it's semi-related, um, 
you know, the neural link and cryogenically freezing kind of like uh, transporting your humanity into the future. You know, yeah. I, I thought you guys mentioned this on the last podcast. Yeah. Um, now, as we've kind of established through our criticism of Elon Musk and other uh, sorts of carrier, uh, so sorts of online characters and te- techno optimistic characters. Um, the idea is like creating shortcuts. It seems like, um, you know, this is like we're, we're trying to find the easiest and, and uh, path of least resistance. I mean, what do you think is easier? Like mapping the human brain, which we don't even fully understand yet, right? Like uh, you're the scientist, quite quite far, yeah. right? Or so so we're that's pretty far off, right? Like mapping thoughts and like uh, kind of uh, reproducing the human brain in digital form, but don't we kind of already do this, like with all of our interactions on our phones and computers and you know, I mean, Google knows every, you know, quote unquote, Google knows everything about you. Right. But it really is just like a bad, like photocopy uh, of your personality. Um, so like I could see some company coming up with, you know, oh, reproduce yourself in perpetuity onto the cloud. And it's just like an aggregation of your Google searches and, you know, the podcasts that you listen to and all this. And it's just so far off. Like there's, there's some, there's something beyond you're not, you're not like the, uh, you're not just the aggregation of your Google searches. You know, that's not your personality. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, I think here again, it's interesting to kind of look to the past as a guide. Um, and there, there are two different things here. One is, um, the much older concept um, of sort of having some part of you survive into the future. And here I'm thinking about, you know, all kinds of people throughout history who wrote books that we still read. Right. And um, that's uh, a form of sort of surviving into the future. And when I think about like what's going on with like the latest live forever movements, really something quite different. It has to do, you know, it's like for people who have, almost no problems left to solve, then they, they solve the problem of like trying to live forever. And there, the key is not like them being remembered for a long time, but instead their own consciousness persisting, um, you know, indefinitely. And that that's a much heavier lift. I mean, if you wanted to just kind of be well known forever, you could just try really hard to write a good book that people like to read. And, you know, some of those survive for a long time. And to your point about like the Google searches and so forth being a bad photocopy. A lot of people in, from the past, you know, who wrote very famous books that have proved to be very useful for a very long time, you know, contemporaneous accounts of them have them as being, you know, not good people. Right. <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking of like, you know, Newton famously here, right? Um, clearly a useful, useful person and also apparently terrible. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the details of that. I'll just believe you. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but, but I think, uh, that's not that in somehow, you know, that, that, that's sort of like a, an old notion of, uh, living forever is like, you know, having you be remembered, but no, no, that's, you know, not good enough. You know, I actually, 
I actually have to be in existence, you know, to to collect my enjoyment in perpetuity, I think is kind of the new um, up leveled version of this. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it exactly um, other than it, you know, it does feel sort of certainly sinister uh, in the context of, you know, a lot, a lot of other people's basic needs not having been met. Um, so. Which right. And that, and that goes goes back to the point that we were talking about, you know, of these people just being completely disconnected from material reality. Right. Um, th- these people have never lived paycheck to paycheck. Uh, you know, something that even most people in America do, you know, the, allegedly the the richest country on uh, the face of the earth, you know, um, just they're completely divorced from reality so that they're they're finding problems that they think need solutions so yeah which are you know in some cases you know personal problems that they have like i said you know you have most everything taken care of for you at the moment the only thing you can't get around is eventually you know you're going to grow old and die so that's the that's the problem that's left to solve yeah another Another part of last week's show that gave me like the heebie-jeebies would be like the editing of DNA and CRISPR babies, you know, sort of thing. Um, And, you know, I I read a lot about parapolitics and parapsychology and like history. Uh, I'm I'm interested in in these sorts of topics. So obviously uh, when you bring up uh, CRISPR babies and editing DNA, I immediately think like, uh, you know, Neeraj had like the initial reaction of being like kind of weirded out by this as well. And it's because like, this is what the Nazis believed, you know, it's like, uh, like kind of in the master race. And, and so, you know, that's what I would be worried about is like, Oh, let's, let's edit ourselves into being a, a master race. And this is like, just gives me the, you know, the willies. Uh, so, so I, I think, um, well, so actually just for my own benefit, can you define para politics? Uh, it, it's just like politics that, uh, is kind of below the surface, like everything that happens, but I, I would say, uh, I don't know. Let's just pull up the real definition. We can use technology to accomplish that here. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make sure that I'm not missing something uh, before I respond to this. I can't find a good definition. So I would say, you know, the, um, I, I do think, um, that, the argument about the master race in the context of sort of our current thoughts and capabilities around um, DNA editing is, is a bit of a, a straw man. So, you know, that's not to, you know, even on the last show, I think, I hope it was clear. I was not condoning, um, you know, the apparently what the, that one scientist uh, did. And I mentioned that, you know, there's a sort of a scientific consensus against uh, editing the germline. Um, and, uh, I think that that's probably wise given what we don't know about, you know, what editing people's DNA can do to them. But on the other hand, like 
the actual things that people are considering um, are far, in some sense, more mundane and and benign and uh, than 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 that. Um, and you know, in a way, this is kind of related to um, you know my own some of my own issues around people who have problems with genetically modified organisms and stuff like that, because it's really, you know, a lot of the objections are just coming from a plain place of ignorance in terms of like what this actually means. Um, and it's not that there's not ignorance on the other side, you know, I mean, no person who's involved in any of these technologies can know for sure what's going to happen into the future, but there's a lot more kind of like reasonable supposition that can be made on the basis of existing scientific knowledge than I think most people appreciate. And so, and I, I do agree with that. And I think there are some of these uh, technological solutions, like people make up problems with them. You know, I, I, I think genetically modified foods is, a, is one where um, there's a lot of like fear about them when it's really pretty benign. You know, people have been uh, genetically modifying their food for thousands of years, you know, through natural selection and like, uh, well, artificial selection, artificial selection. Yes. Excuse me. Artificial selection. Um, you know, I just, with the, uh, like editing of, of humans, I, I just, it, it, it weirds me out because I know how vain people are. And like, once this technology is available, um, I think it's hard to stop, you know, it's hard to stop people from like going in there and saying, I want to, you know, a kid that's six foot four and blonde and blue eyed and, you know, it, yeah. you know, like the deus ex character as you, I, I've never played that game, but I kind of can imagine what you guys were talking about there. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's, um, I think that, you know, that's all, well, I mean, it's in some sense, you know, I, I obliquely referenced a, you know, some news articles that I read recently about how, you know, the, the editing is apparently not currently taking place on a wide scale, but um, sequencing and, and selection with knowledge of the sequencing of embryos in the context of in vitro fertilization is apparently happening. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a wild west at the moment. Some companies will offer um, their opinion about you know, superficial traits, um, after an embryo is sequenced and some will not, and there's no, um, there's not a current kind of like agreed upon standard about that. Like, should you, should you tell, um, the parents your opinion on, uh, you know, the genes likely influence on their height and their hair color and eye color and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, for some parents, if one company won't, tell them that they'll just take their sequencing data to another company that is willing to. So, you know, I I think that we are going to see a lot more of that in our lifetime. And obviously I think many people will make kind of good choices around that in terms of, you know, using the technology to avoid obviously bad outcomes that, you know, many people would agree are, are bad outcomes, but uh, there will be people who certainly do things that make Ned uncomfortable, which, you know, I'm sorry, Ned. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be uncomfortable no matter what. Probably, um, <laughs> I, I just think like in this case, it might be better to not unleash that force onto the world 
as opposed to trying to control that force because there's just like like global regulation of anything is very hard as you mentioned uh, and especially in tech you know like this is stuff that can cross borders very easily um so yeah just probably better to not do some of that stuff maybe i don't know um so just to put you on a spot a little bit here i mean i would say it's likely that you know if you had an acute situation um in your own life you would you would you know you'd allow for uh, uh possibly singing a different tune on this um fortunately i don't well i mean to some extent we do right um you know this it's it's far fetched to suggest that you know anything any current technology could have been used to help our dad but uh you know i i kind of think of things in that in that frame um because you know you know we don't know what the case is with him but uh you know it's possible that you know had he been born you know in your son's generation um, there are things that could have been done to help him live a longer, healthier life. And, you know, we'd have, you know, selfishly, we'd have benefited from that, you know, presumably for, for decades. Yeah. Um, I also think like specifically in dad's case, you know, he was born at a time that there was still lead in the gasoline, you know, we had leaded gasoline, uh, he used Roundup, you know, like all the time out at the farm, which has been, you know, linked to neurodegenerative disorders. Um, you know, and that's like, if we want to bring it back to like real world solutions, what I'm calling real world solutions versus techno-optimism, um, I think we should like try to better utilize like just kind of basic uh and more realistic solutions you know like make sure people have health care uh you know try to eliminate environmental factors for bad health um you know i and i i am enjoying like your main topic of you know aging well and wellness and i think that sort of thing is very useful. And I'm not trying to be, you know, one of these woo-woo people that like you can control everything that happens in your body through healing crystals or whatever. Um, You're not, you're not going to make that argument here. No, I'm not. I'm not one of those people. Um, So. Yeah. So so I, I would say that like, I'm in complete agreement with you when it comes to kind of, large scale solutions. And, and this does connect to our, you know, our main topic. Uh, and I like, it's just a hundred percent the case that, you know, when you think about like, what could, what's the, what's the lowest lift that could help the largest number of people for some of the biggest problems. I mean, exercise, right. It doesn't require, you know, a lot of technology, uh, to accomplish and the benefits are apparently, you know, vast and, uh, penetrating. Um, and so like, like that's absolutely the case. You also, I think there's a, uh, you know, an admission that has to be made here, which is that, you know, in any particular case, you'll still run up against difficult situations. Right. And so 
you know, nobody knows what would have happened to, to dad had he, you know, exercised more. I think that there's a good chance that he'd have had a longer health span. Um, but, you know, that's no guarantee. I mean, he has, there's family history involved here, right? Which suggests Absolutely. a genetic component. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that like, no matter how much, there should be a lot more done with sort of more basic solutions, certainly. Um, but, but you're still going to run into hard cases and you're going to, you know, when, I, I guess my point is that like when it hits home, you're going to want to pull out the, the technological solutions if they're available to you. Yeah. In, I would say most people would think that way. Um, I'm not sure personally I would think that way, but um, yeah. Yeah. I want to live a long, healthy life, but I'm also like a realist in that if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And that's why I kind of push back on the, uh, you know, live forever kind of people. Uh, I think, it, I think that's weird. Um, you know, I'm not really that, uh, I'm not like, a, I'm not a religious person. I'm not even really a spiritual person, but it's like watching your parents get older. Uh, sometimes you think like, oh, maybe it's just, it's my time to go, you know? Um, and that, and, and being like, okay with that, you know, it, it is like a powerful, uh, kind of liberating feeling. Absolutely. Um, I know we're coming up on an hour and I did want to like talk about, uh, you know, kind of the, the future of, uh, of the world. I know we've been like talking about the future of stuff, but, um, I don't know if you want to keep going. Past no, no, that. please. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that would have been a good, I mean, we brought it back to the personal, which is nice. Um, but like moving forward, uh, one thing about technology is it seems to kind of accelerate uh, like current conditions. You know, it just uh, make every, makes everything happen more, you know, for like uh, to, to kind of borrow a popular phrase. Um, and this is what kind of leads to a lot of my skepticism of this is because we're, I mean, there, in some ways the world is good, right? Like you, you, you've mentioned that, um, technology has, has made the lives of a lot of people better. I would kind of push back on some of that, um, and say that like, there have been like, like technology has left a lot of people behind. And if you look at like kind of the pinnacle of, of, uh, you know, tech in the world, it's, it's the U S um, well, I mean, in some cases, like uh, some cases like Japan and Korea, you know, they, they seem to have better tech than us. But, um, if, if you're talking about like global hegemony, the U S still has like a fairly good hold on global hegemony. Um, even though it could be waning. Um, but if we're just going to accelerate what's happening on a, you know, in the U.S., it's like income inequality keeps getting worse and the environment keeps getting worse. Uh, so, like, obviously, technology keeps advancing, but these problems are still here. And, and I guess my my worry is that like 
you know, Near Edge uh, brought up like kind of this Star Wars or I'm sorry, Star Trek model. Yeah. Um, that's you know, when uh, that was his response to like, what what kind of thing would he want if he could have anything from technology? Right. Well, you know, Star Trek is famous for like, oh, all the world's problems are solved. And, you know, um, th- there's a there's this idea on the left of like uh, luxury space communism, you know, like th- there there is like a strain of uh, of leftist thought that. Um, is techno optimistic. Like we're just going to automate work um, so that we can, it can like, it's a liberatory force uh, to allow people to like pursue their passions because everything, uh, you know, all the, all our basic needs will be taken care of with technology. Um, but like going back to like the Facebook example of like telling people to moderate content and paying them low wages I see that future as much more likely. Um, and if you think of like range of outcomes and like, uh, y- you know, uh, probability, I-, I think that probability is more likely, which is, you know, kind of grim, um, kind of like a techno feudalism versus a, you know, a techno optimism sort of situation. You're going to need like low wage uh, people, you know, to make all of this stuff work um, because the tech doesn't really work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the issue, well, one, one issue with trying to address this is that, um, you know, the state of the quality of the world is not really one dimensional. Um, so, you know, all kinds of things can be getting better and worse at the same time. And it's hard to, uh, it's hard to kind of balance weigh all of those things when coming up with a kind of, uh, overall sense of, you know, how, how much progress have we made? Um, I, I do just, you know, as your brother, I worry sometimes that you focus too much on, uh, you know, the un- undoubtedly the things that are going wrong. You know, I, I hope that uh, you find some time during your weekend to, um, you know, just relax a little bit. <laughs> no, I, 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 I do enjoy myself uh, a lot yeah. of the time. You know, when we get off the phone, um, I think the plan is for my son and I to go out and mow the grass at the farm, which, you know, I really enjoy. So I don't worry, Nick, I still enjoy life. I still get out and play softball and basketball. And, you know, my dread is not 100%, uh, you know, consuming. I I do think that like there is some power in like not worrying about this stuff. Um, so you know if, if I'm just if, if I understand that I have very little control over this um, and I can still enjoy parts of life, that's great. You know, uh, you know, like I I enjoy I have a great relationship with my wife. Uh, I love my son. We do lots of fun stuff, um, but I can still be skeptical of of what's happening, uh, you know, in the macro sense. Great. Well, um, I guess we'll have to just do another podcast in, well, six or so hundred years uh, <laughs> when we're still alive and see how the techno-feudalism is coming along. Yeah, we'll, we'll compare... Uh, 
you know, our Google searches, right? Our Google searches, it'll be like, it'll be like predictive text, you know, uh, like a predictive text conversation, you know, uh, I think the listeners should just try to communicate with, they should send first, they should send this podcast to a friend, right? And so they then have their friend listen to it and then have a complete predictive text conversation, uh, you know, and see where it goes, you know, see where the tech leads you. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I'm going to second that recommendation and uh, say, Ned, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. I'll I'll come back anytime. I don't think I'll be invited back, but that's fine. Uh, I would love to talk to Neeraj. I've never met him. Okay. I think you're going to be a regular. We'll see. All right. Take care. You have a a good weekend. Yeah. You too. Bye. Bye.